Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Praise God. Um, I want to welcome everyone to this evening's meeting as we continue um, our discussion on faith that overcomes the world. And one of the things we've been seeing in the scriptures is the fact that we cannot talk of faith that overcomes the world without talking of the reality of the new birth. The reality of the new birth. And when we talk about the reality of the new birth, what we're talking about is not just um, signing up a card in church, but understanding the fact that you are a child of God. Understanding the fact that you are a son of God, that you've been born of God. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, so we've had like two sessions and it's been amazing. Let's go to First John chapter 2 and we start from there. Praise God. First John chapter 2 and we will read verse 12. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him. So you see that when he talks about fathers, it talks about the knowledge of God. I write to you fathers because you know him because you know him okay then he says what's been from the beginning i'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one you know most times we teach you know and it almost looks like the devil is that powerful is so powerful you know we need this we need no it's possible to overcome the evil one praise god he says you have overcome the evil one i've written to you children because you know the father i've written to you children because you know the father now if you look at this verse carefully you would realize that it talks about or places emphasis um, on the knowledge of the father on the knowledge of the father and that's important it places emphasis on the knowledge of the father then it goes on to say do not love the world do not love the world now you remember as we deal with this you remember that john talks about love he emphasizes the concept of love and and we've been dealing with that that our love for god first of all is received okay the love for god is received you receive the love of god then you release it and there are two ways to release the love of god first of all you release the love of God by obeying the instructions of God or obeying what God is saying. Then you also release the love of God by loving the brethren. So John speaks here and says, do not love the world. This is a direct command. Do not love the world nor the things of, of the things in the world. Now, the question here is, what is the world? And what are the things in the world? And we have to allow John to define this. Because what we're dealing with is faith that overcomes the world. And at the first instance when we see that scripture, 
you know, sometimes it comes to our mind like, you know what, faith that overcomes the world. And one of the things that comes strong in our heart is the whole issue of, you know, maybe we need to get things, we need to get a new car, we need to get this and that. Now, it's important for us to understand God is not against those things. God is not against us having those things. But John here was dealing with something deeper and stronger than just things. Praise God. He's dealing with something stronger and deeper than just things. And you need to pay attention to this now. It says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Praise God. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. It says, if anyone, look at this, loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Mm, this, is, this is strong. It says, if a man loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. And, and, and what John is trying to say here is that you cannot share your love. You cannot use the love that is designed for the Father for the world. You, you, have, to, you have to serve one. You have to abandon one for the other. Praise God. And, and you remember the case of uh, Demetrius? Scripture says, Paul says, he has left me for he has loved this present world. When, because he loved this present world, he forsook Paul. He had to leave Paul to cling to the world. A Christianity that tries to merge the world and the values of the Christian faith together will never work. And, and we must be clear on that. We must be clear on that. These are two separate kingdoms. These are two separate operating systems. These are two separate dimensions of function. Are you following this now? So because sometimes we try to be relevant in the world, but in that relevance, we allow the world to define what relevance is. Praise God. We allow the world to define what relevance is because we are trying to win the world, listen carefully to this, by our own terms, not the terms that is laid out in scriptures. So it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, so, okay, go, go back. Go back to verse 16. It says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. You know, so he talks about the things in the world. Now, it says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. So, so now, John is defining the things in the world, right? He's defining the things in the world. So he says, do not love the world. I mean, we're going to read this over again. Right? Uh, so when you say, and you've read it before, we'll read it again. Do not love the world, not the things in the world. Because if we keep reading it, right, then we're going to pay attention to details right now. So it says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. So he defines the world and the things in the world. When he goes to verse 16, he says, for all, what's, what's all? Everything minus nothing, okay? All is everything, okay? So it says, for all that is in the world. So uh, John here is now summarizing. He's trying to summarize this thing called the world. John is giving a definition to it. How do we identify the world, okay? How do we identify the world? John is now giving a definition to it. We're going we're gonna to deal uh, extensively with this on Sunday. I'm just giving a foundation... You know, but he, he defines this by saying, 
all that is in the world. What is all that is in the world? If we want to summarize the whole world in one sentence, what is it? John says, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Wow. So John here talks about Three things that sums up the world. Verse 17 says, The world is passing away and also it's lost. Okay? But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now we're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to this. 1 John 4, 4. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. So this is the framework right now. So we understand when John says, By faith we're going to overcome the world. We understand the dimensions what John is talking about here. First John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, or you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, <coughs> now look at this now. John is talking about overcoming. And he says, you've overcome them. Who are the them? Right? So it goes on to say, Beloved, verse 1, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Now, there's, there's different use of the word, of the phrase world. And we're going to just look into some of them. Okay? Alright. So it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. But by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist. Of which you have heard that it is coming. And now it is already in the world. Hello, those who are waiting for Antichrist to come one day. John says way back that it was already in the world. That means even the Antichrist is, is disguised and people cannot even discern it, including some preachers. Look at what, I mean, it's here, this is English. It says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Right? This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So the Antichrist is actually a spirit of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. John wrote this way back. Okay, let's go on. That's not our problem tonight. You're from God. So he talks to you about your source. I've always said this. You cannot have faith without understanding your source. You're from God, little children, and I've overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So there is someone in the world. There's a spirit in the world. And it says the greater one is on the inside of you. Okay, verse 5. They are from the world. Therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. So you can see that this whole thing called the world is a controlling system. is a controlling influence. It's an influence that speaks and people listen. The pride of life speaks. The lust of the flesh speaks. The lust of the eyes speaks. And there are people who listen to them. And John is saying, listen, with our faith in God, we can overcome this operating system called the world. And we're going to deal with that and really see how it is. But let's look at this now. Let's look at 
what it means to overcome. Go to Revelation chapter 12. I mean, this is just foundation. Revelation chapter 12. I'm giving you the end of the message and I'm going to backtrack and build towards it so you have an idea where we're going to. Go to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. Now, we use this very popular testimony, right? We use this all the time, especially when we want to receive testimonies in church. You know, sometimes we only, if, if we're not careful, we will water down some of these massive truths to just cars, houses, wives, husbands, children. I got this new contract. I got this new job. For instance, when we want people to come and share testimonies in church, where do we tell them? Or what does the person who is receiving the testimony say? Right? Says, oh, uh, well, we overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. So, oh, Sister Jane, come share your testimony. And we overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. They don't finish the verse. That's not the whole verse. What's the next line? Come on, what's the next line? And they did not love their life even when faced with death. They did not love their own lives even unto death. That scripture has absolutely nothing with someone sharing a testimony of how they got a car and he said, well, when you share your testimony, you overcome the devil. No, 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 a thousand times, no. This scripture was talking about those who suffered martyrdom because of the gospel. Those whose testimony, <laughs> they rejected, you know, salvation in terms of being saved from death. People wanted to kill them and said, if you renounce your faith, we will kill you. They did not love their own lives unto death. And that's how they were able to overcome the prevailing system of the world then. Praise God. Now, I mean, there's a book I was looking for, but I couldn't find the book. But I, uh, uh, there's a story of this man called John Hawes. Okay? John Hawes. Look at this. Look at what, what happened to this man. I, I just want to read it. These excellent sentences were esteemed as so many expressions of treason. He was preaching the gospel and he considered it treason and tended to inflame his adversaries. Accordingly, the bishops appointed by the council stripped him of his priestly garment, degraded him, put a, a paper mitre on his head on which was painted devils with this inscription, a ringleader of heretics. He was preaching the truth, but he said he was a ringleader of heretics. Which when he, he saw, he said, My Lord Jesus Christ, for my sake, did wear a crown of thorns. Why should I not then, for his sake again, wear this light crown? Be it ever so ignominious. Truly I'll do it and willingly I'll do it. Now, I mean, I, I, when, when, when they got a hold of this man, they put faggots all around his body and they literally set him on fire. They literally set him on fire. But look at what was written about John Hawes, the martyr. He says, The flames were now applied to the faggots. When our martyr sung a hymn with so loud and a cheerful voice, that he was heard through all the cracklings of the combustibles and the noise of the multitude. At the length, his voice was interrupted by the severity of the flames which should close his existence. Listen to me, saints of God. How will a man sing hymns so loud that he is so loud above the flames that were burning him? They literally put those faggots on his body to enhance the flames. But he found a voice on his inside to sing a hymn to God in the midst of that flame burning him until he died. This man has found a faith in the person of Jesus. That he was willing to release that testimony and not love his own life unto death. And that was an overcoming victory. Now look at what happens. 
Look at what history book says. It says, Then with great diligence, gathering the ashes together, they cast them into the river Rhine, that the least remnant of the man that should not be left upon the earth, whose memory, notwithstanding, cannot be abolished out of the minds of the godly, neither by fire, neither by water, neither by any kind of comment. Now, why did I read this story? And you can read the story of a lot of people. It's because if you talk to this man called John Horse about faith in God, and you talk to a modern-day Christian about faith in God, they're talking about a whole different plane. This man is talking about the faith that he has found in a Savior that can allow him go through fire, and he still finds a voice to sing. We can hardly... I mean, the lights go off, and we are depressed. The water stops running, and we are throwing tantrums. Uh, <laughs> the network is not working, and depression sets up in our soul. I mean, I'll tell you something. There's so much more, so much more to glean from these heroes of faith. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, there's another man called Richard Wombrand. Uh, you can read his book. Some of you have read his book. It's called Tortured for Christ. He lived from 1909 to 2001. This is what the Philadelphia Herald wrote about him. It says, he stood in the midst of lions, but they could not devour him. This man fought the communist government head on. I mean, he was put in prison. He was in prison. He was training with death. At the point, his teeth were pulled out. But they maintained their joy. They maintained their joy. You know, I was in a meeting somewhere. Uh, I won't mention the country, but I was in a meeting somewhere. And there were all of these people from several closed countries who came in for the meeting. And a particular speaker was brought to speak to us in that meeting. He had four of his teeth pulled out by people of the opposing faith. And he was sharing with us how a man, now listen carefully to this now. He was sharing with us how one of the prison guards got converted when he was in prison. They brought out pliers and pulled one of his teeth and said, if you deny Christ, we'll stop. I mean, we won't do this to you. He said, I can't deny Christ. They pulled out the second tooth. He said, I can't deny Christ. Pulled out the fourth one. Pulled out the, the, the fourth one and there were four. I mean, of course, they pulled it out without applying any injection. You can imagine the pain. And then the next day, the prisoner was to feed him, the one who's done all of this. And he smiled to him and said, I love you. The prisoner said that broke him, that he knew that there was no human love that could love someone like that who has caused so much pains to you. And he asked him, listen, how do I know the person who gave you this love? And that opened the door to the gospel. Now, what am I trying to say? This is what John is talking about. This thing is more than we come to church, we clap our hands, we sing a nice song. This is talking about the very love of the Father that compelled him to come on earth to die for us. That when we are sons of God, that love floods our heart. And that is the love we release to the brothers. And that is the love that makes us to obey the commandments of God. Now when you understand that, it becomes easy for you to be a child of God. Because you will respond to the love of God. That if God has loved me so much, and he went through all this for me, I cannot sin against God because I love him. Now we're not responding out of just that fear of God, but out of love for the Father. Come on, are you still here? Okay, now, so, uh, <laughs> in the Hebrew, when it says they love not his life unto dead, it talks about those who, who do not value their life as compared to what was in front of them. Praise the name of the Lord. And Jesus exemplifies this. Jesus teaches this to us. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, go with me to Luke 14, 26. Jesus talks about this. Luke 14, 26. He says, if you want to be my disciple, 
It, it puts that thing on you. I don't care, but if you want to be my disciple, these are the terms. You know, it's almost like every time we are adjusting the terms of discipleship, it, it, it assumes that every time we're ad, uh, um, 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 adjusting, you know, the terms of worship, we're adjusting the terms of commitment, we're adjusting the terms of consecration. Look at this here. If you want to be my disciples, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. That word hate actually means to love less. That means if you put these people and you put me, I should have the greater priority in love. Look at this. Your father, <laughs> your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. And can I tell you something? I'll, te I'll tell you this. If you ask a lot of people the one reason they are not committed to God, not committed to the things of God, family is number one. Family is number one. Now, it's important family is good. God designed a family. But you must realize that, listen, as compared to anything on this earth, God should be number one. God should be absolutely number one. Then, I like what he says. You know, it's good to just say, well, father, mother, brother, and sister. And if Jesus closed it there, it's nice. But look at what he says. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. It's clear. These things are clear in scripture. It says you cannot. How? I mean, it's like saying, when it even comes to your own life, I should be first. How many believers absolutely or actually put God first, even in their own life? You know what we do? We get up in the morning. We do everything we have to do for us. And then we start having a conversation with God late at night. We put our life first. We put our goals first. We put our desire first. When it comes to the things we're doing for the kingdom. And God is saying, listen, if you want to be my disciples, even your own life, you've got to lay it down first for me. You have to. If not, you cannot. Because this part of discipleship is not for everyone. So he says, if you want to be my disciple. Praise God. Come and I said, praise God. John 10 verse 25. It tells us here. Because now I want, to, I want to push something here and follow me now. Because this whole issue of loving your own life is the bait that the enemy would use to begin to tempt you when it comes to the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the bait the enemy is going to use is going to be what? The love for your own life. And that's why today, if you look at almost everything going out there, it's about take care of yourself, love yourself. You, this about you, this about you, this about you. It's just about yourself. I've seen even ministers of the New Testament become motivational speakers. They say, oh, you know what? We can't reach the world if we use our language. We've got to reach them in their language. <laughs> and, and, and no, it's not comfortable again saying Jesus. They say the wise man from the East. You know, one day I saw a believer say, I just want to thank the universe. I want to thank the universe. The universe has been good to me. I had an inbox there. I said, what are you talking about? We don't, serve you, we don't serve the universe. We don't thank the universe. Our God created the universe. But then you have so many people on your timeline, you don't want them to come against you as a Christian, so you've got to refer to God as the universe. Or refer to the Bible as a wise book. A wise book said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, because if you say the Bible said, then people are going to come against you. What are you ashamed of anyway? 
What are you ashamed of? What are you afraid of? What are you protecting in your own life that you cannot admit that you're a believer? If I go through your timeline without putting anything, will I be able to know that you're a child of God? And somebody say, well, you don't have to be that. It's the way Christians are doing. No, listen, listen, listen. This thing is two kingdoms. We cannot have the love of the world and the love of the Father in our heart. One has to displace another. And when we talk about the faith that overcomes the world, we cannot overcome a world that we are falling in love with. It's like sending you to, to take out the person you're falling in love with. When you go there, instead of taking out the person, you end up doing something else. In case it's not taking, you even get a child out of that mission. And the mission was designed to eliminate. And the mission that was designed to eliminate now becomes a mission of production. Because why? There's love for the person. Are you still here now? Okay. John 10, 25. Anyone who loves his, their life will lose it. Why? Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hate their life in this world. To love their life less in this world. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Then those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. The New Living Translation. There's something about not caring about our life in this world. We're not looking for... I'm sorry to say this, but I have to say it. You know, somehow, high is almost becoming like when you're a minister, you're a celebrity, and we're going with that whole celebrity culture thing. It's because we have not so learned Christ. That's not the pattern we have in Scripture. But if we have to be relevant in the world, you have to be optics, you have to stage manage some things, you have to get some things up, and it's almost like we're in competition with politicians. Every minister, you've got to tell yourself, I'm not a celebrity, I'm not a celebrity, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. You have to remind yourself, if not, you cannot overcome the world that defines leadership in that space or in that sense. Praise God. Come on, are you still here? Now, go to Matthew chapter 19. It says, And everyone that had forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake. They've left all of this for my name's sake. Shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit in everlasting life. Now, when we take this scripture, one of the things we do is, I mean, we take a seed in our hands and we go to the altar and we cast the seed and you say, Lord, I'm believing you for a hundredfold. Well, you can believe God for that. But you know what Jesus was referring to here? Jesus was referring to a specific set of people. These were the specific set of people that because they accepted the message. Remember what we talked about in day one? Because they accepted the message of the gospel, they had to forsake lands. They had to forsake sisters. They had to forsake brothers. It's like, it's like you're the only one that is born again in your family. And nobody is born again. What you observe is this. Literally, it will seem as if you don't have a natural family. <clears throat> because you can't converse at the attempt. You can't engage in what they're engaging. So Jesus is saying that when you do that because of the sake of my name, what's going to happen is I'll add you to a community of believers. Those people will now become your family. So even in this world, you will now have a family. And in the world to come, you're also part of the family. That's why our churches must be designed with family in mind. It, it shouldn't be designed as an enterprise. It should be designed with a sense of family because when we receive and accept the gospel, what happens is we are transferred into a family. We become part of a family. 
And, in, in, and even as a minister of the gospel, that should always run in your head. Like, I'm a father. You, you must have that father's heart. The father's heart must undergird the shepherd's heart. You know, so the shepherd must think like a father. The shepherd must not think like a CEO. If you think like a CEO, you're going to build an organization. The shepherd has to think like a father. And that's what makes you build a family. Praise God. Are you still here now? Okay. Come on, thank you, Lord Jesus. Are you learning something? John chapter 16, verse 33. John 16, 33. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. <laughs> in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus says, I'm telling you these things. In me you will have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. So you, you realize that Jesus is telling you about two different locations. World and in him. World and in him. He says, but I have overcome the world. The word overcome in the Greek is nikaio. N-I-K-A-O. It means to subdue, to conquer, to prevail over, or to get the victory above. To subdue, to conquer, to prevail over, or to get the victory above. What he's saying is that by faith we subdue the world. So you can understand in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we might get there tomorrow, how by faith they subdued kingdoms. What actually happened is that they, by their faith in God, they overcame. Come on, glory to God. Praise God forevermore. By their faith in God, they overcame the governing principles of kingdoms and established the reign of God. Hallelujah. They established the reign of God. Are you still here? Praise God. John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Take heart. Be courageous. I have overcome the world. So we find out that Jesus overcame the world. We're going to deal with that. How did he overcome the world? And this word means to subdue. To subdue. To conquer. To overcome. To prevail. And to get the victory over. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, let's look at this word, this phrase world. I'll be using this phrase because I don't want to say let's look at this word world. Or let's look at this word world. Or word world. So it's this phrase world. Right. So let's look at the phrase world. W-O-R-L-D. World. <laughs> let's look at the use of the word world. Let's look at the use of the phrase world. Okay, yeah. Okay, praise God. All right. Uh, so the phrase world is used um, several times in scriptures, but it's used in different contexts. So I want us to get a context so we can get a context of the way John used it. So first of all, it's used as people. So the phrase world is used as people. For instance, in John 12, 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. So in that place, the Pharisees were saying people have gone after Jesus, right? So you see, in that place, the phrase world is used as people. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever... So when we say for God so loved the world, we're not talking about God loving the Atlantic Ocean, loving... No, He loved the people in the world because it tells us here that whosoever... Right? Whosoever, not whatsoever. Whosoever, that's anybody who believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now when you tell people, you have everlasting life, say no, when we go to heaven, we'll have everlasting life. But it says if you believe in Him, you have everlasting life. You have it now. Praise God. 
And that's what happens to us. You know, believers are, are very funny. Something is either in the past or in the future. They never accept something in the present. I'll give you a, 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 story, a, um, a case in the scriptures. They sent for Jesus. Lazarus is dead. And Jesus, you know, delays, 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 delays. I mean, that's so nice and so great when he's got that faith. Like he says, somebody's dead. And Jesus knows, it. wow, wow, Lazarus. No, Jesus said he's sleeping. And the disciples like, no, he can't be sleeping. They said he's dead. I said, I have the picture. And Jesus said, listen, I'm using figurative language. So you'd have told us his faith confession now. Okay, <laughs> all right. So then they go, after three days, they go there. And they go there, and then everybody's crying, oh, Lazarus, oh, Lazarus, oh, Lazarus. And, and then sisters comes up and if you have been here, you know, I'm imagining like they grab the, the you know, Jesus wear those long gowns and they grab the gown like, if you have been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died, Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, he will rise again. Yes, I know, on the resurrection. And like Jesus says, no, you keep quiet, let me teach you. He will rise again. Say, yes, I know, I know we're talking about the fact that he's dead now. Just allow us cry. <laughs> you know, just cry with us. Join us in the cry. And Jesus says, he would rise again. He says, yes, I know. And Jesus says, did I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of the Lord? I am the resurrection and the life. And it's like, you call this man to come. And now you say, yes, I know. Believers are always futuristic in their terms. They talk of heaven in the future. They talk of eternal life in the future. They talk of miracles in the future. Listen, God is ever present with us now. Glory to God. Now we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Now we're the citizens of heaven. Praise the name of the Lord. Now the greater one is inside of us. Don't wait till tomorrow to overcome what you should overcome today. You're not going to be more powerful tomorrow. You're just going to grow in the knowledge of your power. Whatever you need from God, now faith is, praise God. Okay, so, how did I get into Matthew's story? Uh, people, John 3, 16, people. So, for God so loved the world. Now, the world is also used as earth, the space, okay, universe, and the physical space. John 17, 5. It says, And now, Father, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had thee before the world was, which was before the world was created. So in this context, Jesus is using the phrase world as a physical space. John 17, 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. So we know that when Jesus sent them into the world, what did he say? Go and preach from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judah to the uttermost part of the earth. So Jesus sent them into a physical space of those nations. That's how Jesus came. So Jesus did not come into people in that sense. He came into Nazareth. So this phrase, the world, is also used as space, geographical space. John 18, 37, Pilate also said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Okay? John 21, 25, Praise God. And there are also many things which Jesus did. The which if should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the whole world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So it says, if we were to write everything that Jesus did, the whole world would not contain. We're talking about the physical space. So we see that phrase again. Let me give you some three more references. Acts 15, 18. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. The phrase world there is used as the, as, the, as the physical space. Romans 1, 8. First, I thank my God 
through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So he uses that as what? Uh, the phrase of the world. Now, Romans 1.20 For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Are you still here? So he actually uses the, the phrase world as a physical space. So we've seen that the phrase world can be used as referring to people. The phrase world can be used as referring to sp physical space, okay? Because I want us to get the context of how John used it. So I don't want you to use the John context and translate it all over the Bible. It's not going to make sense, okay? All right? But you have to read what John is teaching in the context of what John was saying it or is saying it to us today. Okay, so we've seen the world used as people. We've seen the world used as earth, space. Now, Jesus distinguishes the kingdom. John 18, 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Now, when he says my kingdom of this, is not of this world, listen carefully. It did not say his kingdom is not in the world. He, did, he said the kingdom is not of the world. That means the kingdom did not originate in the earth system. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So it does not mean that the kingdom is not here. It just means that it did not originate from the earth. Luke 17. I'll show you something here. Luke 17, 20 to 21. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Go to Luke 17. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Holy Ghost. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Luke 17, 20. Look at this. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when, 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 look at it, when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. How many preachers spend their days teaching on the sign of the end times? And what is the sign of the end time? Wars and rumors of wars. Brothers against brothers. <laughs> Look for something else to study. Because the Bible says it's not going to come with signs. Those signs that can be observed. But look at what it says. Nor will they say, look, here it is. Look, here it is. You know, sometimes when you point some people, I say, tell us where the kingdom of God is. Then they point up, right? They lift their hands and they point up. Now, the word is spherical. So if, you, if you're in Nigeria and you're in Lagos, for instance, and you point that the kingdom of God is up, actually you're pointing another country because if the world is like this and you're here and you point up, you're pointing another country. Okay. <laughs> but it says, they will not say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The New King James Version says, the New American Standard Version says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The Amplified says the kingdom of God is in and around you. What was he trying to say? I represent the kingdom. When you see me, you see the kingdom. So the kingdom did not originate from the earth. But the kingdom is on the earth now. Why? What's the kingdom? <clears throat> Paul defines it. See, we shouldn't try to define all of these things in our own terms. Let's follow the scriptures. Paul defines what the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom. 
And we even sing it. Yeah, Long Kenol is singing song. That's the kingdom of God. You know, we finish singing all those songs, and the choir steps down, and then the preacher gets up and says, You know what? When that kingdom comes, it's like, but you just sang. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Then the guy comes and says, You know, when we go to the kingdom of God, this is going to happen. Like, we just talked about the kingdom. Your choir just defines the kingdom, and then they give it another definition. You know, our songs must be consistent with our doctrines. Praise the Lord. We, we can't sing songs of unbelief and teach faith. Or sing songs of faith and teach unbelief. Well, let's leave that. Let's go to John 15, 19. So, Jesus defines this kingdom. And, and the reason I'm saying it this way, and I'm teaching this way, is because you must understand that faith that we're talking about here is the faith that we're going to use to impose the kingdom of God on the earth system. To overcome the governing principle of the earth. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay. John. Uh, glory to God. John chapter 15 verse 19. Praise God. You know, I can't wait for physical trucks to come back. Live streaming is just funny. You say praise the Lord. You say amen yourself. You say amen. You say praise the Lord. You say are you there? You say I'm here. You say turn your Bibles. You turn. You read. And say I will just pray for this whole thing to be over. And so people can come to church. All right. Glory to God. John chapter 15 verse 19. Oh, I'll just do like some preachers. Type amen if you are following. Just say amen and write something. Say something. Say hallelujah. Put up. Okay. John 15. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Joy in the Holy Ghost. I'm in the kingdom. You know, someone say, well, pastor, you're always joking. You're always laughing. You're always happy. Because I'm in the kingdom. And what about you? You're always sad, always depressed, always not happy. You're out of the kingdom. Come into the kingdom. There's joy. You know, sing this song like joy overflow. I mean, I mean, this guy sings joy overflow in my heart. Everybody prays. And then after service, somebody's trying to greet you. How are you? I'm fine. Right? But we just sang joy overflow. Okay. John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. I, I keep asking this question I, and I don't have an answer yet. Why do we want the world to love us? We always want the world to love us. And I, I'm going to say some things here, but fantastic. And I'll say them, okay? You see, right? Jesus, listen carefully to this now. Listen carefully to this. This is where we need faith, right? Jesus teaches us to always do our good, like do our good in secret. But the world tells us, if you're doing something, let the world see it. How would people know you're doing good? And you know what happens? You know what happens? We will need faith to overcome the world to stick with doing good in secret because that's what the kingdom teaches. But that's not the case. Then you now find people trying to do everything and put it in public because that's what the world says is a sign of a good man. We just want the world not to think that we're not doing anything. And so we rather displease God that talks about secret giving and obey the world that tells us about publishing everything we do out there. I mean, of course, if you have to do that for your partners, it's okay. But we don't have to show the world everything we're doing so that the world will commend us. Why? We're not of this world. So it will take faith for you to do your good in secret and people are not praising you all over Facebook and they think you're not, they might even insult you for not doing anything. That's where overcoming, overcoming faith is. If you allow this word, we're going to deal with that on Sunday. If you allow this word, it's going to push you out of the kingdom to begin to do things that are not in the kingdom. And in your mind, you think you're pleasing God. It says, if you were of the world, the world will love his own. 
But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hated you. How did God choose us out of the world? When we became born again, we were chosen out of the world. And that faith in our salvation is the faith we use to overcome the world. That's why John, um, John 4, 5 says, John 5, 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world? He that believes in the Son of God. So when we get saved, or when we are saved, we're born again, He chooses us out of the world. We're pulled out of that dominion of the world. Right now, we will start confronting the world to overcome it. Let me give you a typical example. Do you realize when, when, we're going to talk about Daniel. Do you realize when Daniel came to Babylon and he said, well, bow down or we're going to throw you into the furnace of fire. And he said, listen, we're not listening to you on that. I mean, you, you realize that, okay, so I'll tell you, right? Okay, now I'll tell you. Now, you have like been very close to a fire. If you've been close to a fire, you realize that, man, it's not something you want to get close to. So the king's like, we're going to blow this thing again. And if you don't bow to this golden image, I'm talking about faith that overcomes the world. You don't bow to this golden image, we're going to throw you into the fire. You know what I would have done, right? I would have said, you know God, you know my heart. Like, Jesus, in my heart, I'm not bowing down. Although my body is bowing, but you look at the heart, not the outward appearance. Or just like, when they blow the trumpet, like, da 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 you just say, okay, let me lace my shoes. You know, the king would think, and we would explain that. You know, or people will even counsel you. you. You need to have wisdom. You know, what is there in bowing? After all, we know that God is God. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, growing up in Worry, then there was this crisis, you know, the Worry crisis that took place then between the Jaws and the Securities. And then uh, you have to pass a military post. So every time you come down and you're passing the military post, you have to raise your hands, you know, for security reasons. So there was a day I was, I was going through, through the military post. So, you know, my hands are lifted up. And uh, I had, uh, like, this was this woman behind me. Of course, she was very zealous for the Lord. So she raised her hands. Then she, but she was saying under her, I'm not raising my hands up for these soldiers. I'm raising them up for Jesus. I'm raising them up for Jesus. You know, in my mind, I was like, yeah, okay, put your hand down for Jesus. And let's see what's going to happen. Obviously, you're raising your hand for the soldiers. You know, so they could have done something to appeal to their senses and not remain standing. But you know what happened? Bam, they did not bow. They threw them into the fire. I mean, they gave them a second chance. Heated the furnace seven times. And you know, man, if the fire was just burning once and I see the fire go seven times, I'm telling you, I'll tell you, you know what, God? You know, even you, if you are here, you advise me to bow. But you realize they went into that fire and, and the Lord appeared in that fire and they became poor. And the king says, I see one as the son of man. Faith, 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 faith. They got into there. And you know what happened? The king now said, everybody must bow to the God of Daniel. How did they overcome? How did they overcome? They overcame by having faith in God. And they overcame the system of the world and introduced the worship of God. And, and that's it. That's it. That's something that God wants us to use our faith for. To use our faith to release the worship of God in the nations of the earth. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Wow. Praise God. Let's see where we are. So Jesus distinguishes the kingdom. <clears throat> distinguishes between the world and the kingdom. Mark 4.19 And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, 
The lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So you see that the world will fight the seed of God's word that's planted in your heart. It says the cares of this world, the cares of this world, these are things we, knew, we need to use faith to overcome. The cares of this world. You know, there are things that, are, that will form that care in our heart. And they'll begin to pressure us to make certain decisions. I'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll begin to pressure us to make certain decisions. We will throw down our Christian values. We'll throw down everything we know. You know, people, I've, I've heard people say, well, Christians are not behaving like Christians right now. You know, someone told me the other day. He says, I'm tired. Christians are not behaving like Christians right now. I'm just tired. I said, are you a Christian? I said, yes. I said, oh, you behave like one. I don't have the responsibility over how another, believers, or another believer behaves. Another believer behaves. Yeah. But I have the responsibility over how I behave. So, you, your conduct is your responsibility. My conduct is my responsibility. Glory to God. Alright. Now, let's go to John chapter 16, verse 33. Praise God. I've got 10 minutes more. Wow. Glory to God. Let's go. John 16, 33. These things are spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. Glory to God. I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. God has overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world, if we are in him and we have faith in him, we can overcome the world. Praise God. Jesus talks about the prince of the world. We're just looking at this whole thing about the world. Jesus talks about the prince of the world. John chapter 14, verse 30. John chapter 14, verse 30. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. I mean, this would have been an interesting time in the, in the seasons of the disciples because Jesus was talking about his death all the time, right? He was going to die, he was going to go to the cross, he was going to redeem man and all that. He says, hereafter, I will not talk with you, much with you, for the prince of, the, of this world cometh and has nothing in me. The prince of this world cometh and has nothing in me. The prince of this world cometh and has nothing in me. Jesus, uh, Paul talks about the wisdom of this world. So we understand that there's the prince of this world. Now, you cannot use prince in a... You can only use prince in a, in, a, in a monarch system of government, in a monarchy, where there is a king. You talk about a prince. Now, in using the language of a prince, Jesus puts the world in the platform of a kingdom. So even when we engage this world, we must know that we are engaging a kingdom. We are engaging a kingdom with a principality. What is, what is the word prince, prince? Prince, principalities, principles come from the same word. So when, when, the, when principles are brought out from the world system and they begin to govern the mind of Christians, the principality over that system begins to redefine things, redefine how things should be done. I'm just giving a, 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 a typical example right now. Or how the Lord instructs us in the kingdom to give secretly. But then a principality that is ruled by the pride of life and the likes of men, right, gets into the mind of believers. And in any little thing they do, they run to the world with it. They do a showmanship with it. And they don't know that underlying that factor is the prince of this world governing their mind. 
And they're going to, I mean, I know there are intelligent people who are going to give me reasons why they should do that. We cannot try to win the appeal of the world. We perform for an audience of one. His name is Jesus. Praise God. It, now, it was very clear, and we'll deal with it. This will make you look foolish. You know somehow in the world it looks foolish to forgive? I mean, it looks foolish. It's absolutely foolish. Like, why are you forgiving? Ah! And you know, some people will come and say, don't worry, let me take the battle for you. And you know, you have, you have warriors around you. Say, let me fight. You are too soft. I know. <laughs> Love never fails. It never fails. It never fails. Praise God. I mean, there's a place of tough love where you have to speak the truth in love. Love doesn't mean denial. There's also love that speaks the truth. But what I'm trying to say is this. Forgiveness and walking in love will make you look foolish. Serving will make you look foolish. But that wisdom, the scripture says, the foolishness of the cross is wiser than the wisdom of men. Hallelujah. Okay. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul talks about, now we have received not the spirit of the world, so please, I, I want you to, I, I know our time is going, but I, I need you to write these things down because this is where we're going to build up tomorrow. We're going to go above an hour tomorrow, so please get your mind ready for that. The, the prince of this world, the scripture talks about that. Then 1 Corinthians 2, 12, Paul says, now we have received not the spirit of the world. So you can write this on your note, the prince of the world. There is the prince of the world, John chapter 14, verse 30. And there is the spirit of the world. So there is a spirit that governs the world. <laughs> there is a spirit that governs the world. We must realize that there is a governing spirit in the world. There's a governing spirit in the world. And when we talk about faith that overcomes the world, these are the things that God wants us to use our faith for. Hallelujah. This is what God wants to use our faith for. To overcome the world. Look at this. Now we have we now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are given to us of God. Now the Bible talks about the prince of the world. It talks about the spirit of the world. Then it talks about the wisdom of the world. Now there is a wisdom of the world. It's carnal. It's sensual. It's devilish. Praise God. There's a spirit of the world. There's a spirit of the world. And that's how we, we need to use our faith to overcome the spirit of the world. There is the prince of the world. There is the wisdom of the world. And there is the God of the world. So you see when, I, I know some of you are beginning to get this message now. You're beginning to link things up. When he says, this is the faith that overcomes the world. We're not just talking about just for things. This is the faith that overcomes the prince of the world. This is the faith that overcomes the spirit of the world. This is the faith that overcomes the wisdom of the world. This is the faith that overcomes the God of this world. What's the God of this world? John Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know, I remember I was traveling with my wife one time and I mean, going out of the country and then we're flying and you saw this cloud and everything and everything. I think the one thing we always tell ourselves when we get in the plane that how do people not believe in God? Like, how is it? I mean, 
You know, somebody say, well, it was because scientists developed all of these things. Yeah, who gave the scientists the brain? And someone say, well, you know, there was just this big bang theory. One day, out of nothing, something just did. And the human beings came. And universe came. And I tell people, how many times have you just thrown things away and they were orderly arranged? Like, just carry all your chairs in the house and just do a big bang and throw all the chairs. And then you come back and the chairs are neatly arranged. Every time, in fact, when you get into your children's room, and it's orderly, you will suspect that an adult has come in. Like, who did this? Right? Because if somewhere is orderly, it means there is something, be- there's someone behind it. This, now, how come this order has never created order since after the Big Bang? Praise God. It takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. I don't have that faith yet. Not to believe in God? Absolutely takes a lot of faith. Praise God forevermore. And one of the things the God of this world wants to do is to blind the minds of men so that the gospel will not shine in. God doesn't mind you having a religious knowledge without having the truth of the gospel. And you take faith to overcome the God of this world. Now go to Ephesians 2.2. 2. I think I'm going to stop here and I'll build from here tomorrow. Praise God. Ephesians 2.2. 2. Or is somebody writing right on pastor? <laughs> praise God. Wherein in time past, ye worked, look at this, according to the curse of this world. According to the curse of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now walketh in the children of disobedience. So Paul picks up on this and says there is a curse of the world. There is a uh, uh, you know, Isis, there is a curse of the world and there is a spirit that walks in the children of disobedience and at time past, you walked in this. So we find out the prince of the world, the wisdom of the world, the God of this world, the spirit of the world. We've talked about the curse of this world. Then Peter picks this up and talks about the pollution that is in the world. The pollution that is in the world. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 20. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 20. It says, for if after you have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again daring, they are again entangled daring and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Peter talks about what? The pollution that is in the world. The pollution that is in the world. I want to read it. I read it from the King James Version. I don't understand what it's saying. <laughs> okay. I don't like King James Version. It's not very smooth. Let's read it from the New American Standard Bible. Second, second Peter chapter 2 verse 20. The King James uses the word pollution, right? So King, uh, King James uses the word pollution, right? Okay. Now, the New American Standard uses the word defilement. Okay? So it says, For here, if after they have escaped... The defilements of the world. Alright? By the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see that connects again with what John teaches. That if we have the knowledge of God. John, 1 John 4, 5. Who is he that overcomes the world? He that believes in Jesus. Peter says, For if you have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
they are again entangled in them and are overcome. Now, pay attention to that. I'm, I'm going to close up here and, and pick it up from here. He says, listen, you've overcome the defilement as in the world. Why are you again, you have escaped that defilement, you have escaped that pollution, you have escaped that thing. Why are you again allowing that thing to overcome you? Look at this now. Look at this. He says, for if, right, they have escaped the defilement of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. That's why you see that when believers also, you know, get born again and start living the Christian life, sometimes when they return to the things they were doing before, they get more entangled because right now, it's almost like you have received grace to overcome those things, then you walk in that grace. You walk in that grace. You exercise that grace. You put your foot down and get over that thing. It says you've, you've, you've overcome that defilement. Why allow it to overcome you again? Why give it room again? Praise God. All right. Now, let's go to... Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 2.6. 1 Corinthians 2, 6, praise God. I mean, God is good. God is absolutely good. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. Don't worry, this is going to be our last scripture, right? A good preacher should have how many closings? Two closings. Okay. This is the second closing. You know, Paul says, finally, brethren, and then he goes on to write and write and write and write and write and write. 1 write write write. Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Can we start reading from verse 1 so that the closing will be long? And when I came to you, brethren, <laughs> and when I came to you, brethren, uh, I did not come with you with the superiority of speech, 1 Corinthians 2, 1, or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus and Him crucified. That's enough. That's enough. Paul says, I don't want to know anything. Just Jesus. And his crucifixion. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. We're not trying to be motivational speakers. But in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that, come on, look at this. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Hallelujah. Yet, we do not speak wisdom. Among those who are mature, a wisdom. However, not of this age. He's talking about, no, we don't speak the wisdom of this age. Not the rulers of this age who are passing away. Do you remember when we read in the book of 1 John, he says the world and all that is in it is passing away. Paul here says the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of this age is passing away. Verse, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom. However, not the wisdom of this age, not the wisdom of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but to speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. Glory to God. The hidden wisdom. I like this. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to, to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Then he goes on to talk about the spiritual man. Praise God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Hallelujah. 
I mean, God is good. Praise God. Praise God. Let's just thank the Lord and give him praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. Oh, we thank you, mighty God. We lift our hands and we worship you. Lift your hands and thank him wherever you are. We thank you, Spirit of the Lord, for that overcoming faith. We give you praise. We give you glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We call everyone blessed. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right? Praise God. So tomorrow morning, um, 9 o'clock, we're going to be here for the final session. And we are going to have a good time. Tomorrow we're going to do one hour, 30 minutes. So just be ready for that. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng. Or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.